Isaiah the prophet. And to kind of kick it off, I thought of a, a movie theme that kind of goes with Isaiah's theme. It's that great and wonderful, one of the Disney Christmas movies, uh, I'm sure that you would think of, The Lion King. What? What? You don't think of The Lion King as a Christmas movie? It, it is in a lot of ways. You know, it starts with a celebration of Simba, the new king, the new arrival there, uh, right in the midst of Pride Rock and, and the beauty of all the animals and the throng and the celebration and all that. You remember that part, right? But the movie doesn't stay there. Simba uh, makes a wrong turn. His father dies. He feels bad about it. He runs, right? He runs away from the darkness and trouble in his heart and in his life. And who takes over? Uncle Scar, right? Scar invites in the hyenas who love to laugh and they love to eat. And they love to laugh and they love to eat. And they just keep doing that over and over again until there's nothing left at Pride Rock at all. No trees, no grass, no animals, just hyenas, Scar, and a couple of lions, and that's it. And it's that image that I want you to think about tonight. That image is the image of darkness, part of that image that, that we mentioned in our Advent devotion this evening. It's in that image that Isaiah lived a lot of his life. The culture they, they lived in and grew up in, as I mentioned, for those that were with us Sunday, it wasn't an easy time to live. You had armies often marching through your gates. You often found yourself hiding behind the walls of your city, hoping that the armies would go away rather than starving you out or tearing down the wall or killing everybody and all that sort of thing. And things weren't particularly going well. Both Israel and Judah were on edge. And so in the light of sort of that scar time of darkness and emptiness and barrenness, Isaiah still has hope. And his hope, we read a little bit about earlier, but I'll read it again from Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And then verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And if you're not sure this is going to happen, he concludes with this. 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is your night, your coming, your arrival, your birth. Help us take a moment away from the hustle and bustle and presence and all that. And just take a moment to treasure you. You who've come to us and for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so that image of Pride Rock and the barrenness, the hyenas, the laughing, the emptiness, the despair, the gloom. That situation is similar again to the situation Isaiah was going through. But he saw also that darkness will not win. That in the midst of darkness, in the community that is surrounded by darkness, a light, a great light has come. It shines forth. And the light overtakes all the darkness that came before. Brothers and sisters, in our lives, it gets easy to get snowed under by the darkness. Watching it on the news, hearing about our now third or fourth COVID wave coming across us. There are lots of things that we can get down and discouraged and depressed by. But Isaiah, in the deepest darkness, rejoiced and believed that a great light was coming. Not only a great light would dawn, but secondly, one who would have the power to break the yoke of oppression that oppressed his people. And in our day and in our lives, we all have our own yokes that we carry around. Some maybe we are honest about, others maybe we don't share. Maybe it's a struggling family member, maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a loss of a job. But some of you and some of us are at a place where this Christmas we're ready. We're past ready for the yokes we carry to break. We long for freedom. Who will give this light? Who will bring this freedom? Well, again, Isaiah's hope was a little child, a child given to us. To us, back then, meant the people of Israel and Judah. But it wasn't just given to the children of Israel and Judah. It was given to us, to you and to me. That story we celebrate tonight on this Christmas Eve, the story of the birth of a baby, not in a castle or a mansion or a big city, but a small town barn filled with hay and poop and all sorts of other stuff. Jesus was born there. 
And though it took 700 years from Isaiah's hope to be spoken to Isaiah's hope to become a reality, as followers of Jesus, we believe that in his birth, in his coming, light has dawned. And it's available to all of us. It's for you and for me tonight. We believe in Jesus that that the yoke has been broken, that people can find freedom from addictions and from brokenness and from shame and from all other things that can weigh us down in our lives. And as a result, Jesus brings light and freedom. Isaiah shares, as God has given him four special titles that can make a difference in our lives too. I don't know who you need Jesus to be in your life tonight, but he can be all sorts of things. I think you'll find he is just what we need and just what I need. First, he comes to us as that wonderful counselor. Perhaps you're somebody that, as you look at your past, the decisions you made in high school or in college or just along the way, it seems like you just make boneheaded decision after boneheaded decision after boneheaded decision. And you began to give up and you say, well, maybe that's just who I am. Maybe I'm just kind of a big dummy, a big fool. Well, maybe you just need a wonderful counselor. Maybe you just need Jesus to step in and give you the guidance and partnership you need. You see, here in the Bible, there's a whole book of Proverbs that are just wise things. You just, I had a mentor who died a year or two ago from a previous church named Bob Ryan. He would read the book of Proverbs every month. 31 chapters every day he'd read a chapter of Proverbs because he longed for the wise counselor, the wonderful counselor to guide him. And even better than the book of Proverbs is the very teaching of Jesus, the most radical, the most revolutionary, the most healthy, wholesome teaching of how to restore relationships and how to handle worry and how to make a successful marriage and just all those dynamics. Jesus talks about it all. We just let him guide us. But maybe wonderful counselor isn't quite what you need. Maybe instead you feel weak. You feel like you just can't measure up to everybody else's expectations, to what they hope for you or what they desire for you. And, and you just feel like you're not strong enough or big enough or good enough or smart enough Maybe you need Jesus to be your mighty God. To be the mighty God who can be strong when you, in your weakest moments, feel like you just can't go on. But Jesus bringing the strength of God to bear in your heart and life just at the time you need it can help change your hope and your future. Maybe not the wonderful counselor, maybe not the mighty God, but, but maybe you're someone who has kind of always grown up with a hole in your heart or a hole in your life because you weren't raised in the perfect family. Maybe you were raised by a single mom who did her best, 
but you always wondered who dad was or where he was. Maybe, uh, maybe you grew up in a home filled with dysfunction where neither parent or hardly a parent was able to be much of a parent for you or to you. Maybe you need Jesus to be your everlasting father. The dad that you so long to find his love and approval. Jesus can be that for you, Isaiah writes. And if not any of those, then maybe last of all, you just need someone to take the turmoil that's locked inside your heart and be your Prince of Peace. To take that turmoil, to take the storm, and to just breathe in the calm presence of the Spirit. To help you know that no matter what's on the news and no matter who's sick with COVID and no matter what other things are, balls are up in the air, that it's going to be all right. Because Jesus is still on the throne. The government is still on his shoulders. And he still will work his good, loving purpose in our crazy, mixed up, broken, and dark world. He is coming to be the Prince of Peace. And so tonight, I offer you this Christmas, I offer you Jesus. Isaiah says he is the one that can be bigger for you and for me than anybody else. He can be just the one we need. Even better than Simba, who came in with the cavalry, knocked out his Uncle Scar, and restored Pride Rock to its wonder, beauty, and glory again. So, I want to close with an example. A fellow who's lived through the darkness in his own family and his own life, who I heard about, gosh, about 20 years ago. I was, I was a youth pastor at the time, and, and uh, I had a group of kids uh, in youth ministry in Tekoa, and I heard this conference on faith sharing called dare to share and so i took our group of kids to this faith sharing conference and the leader of that ministry his name's greg steer now greg didn't start out in ministry his beginning story was very dark and very different he says one of the first things that he remembers as a kid that's kind of was etched into his mind at the age of five as he was sitting outside and he was playing one day and as he was playing it was a really nice day to play because there were no gunshots going off in the background there were no gangs driving up and down the streets of north denver where he lived it was a good and quiet day up until the point when this nice new car came to their front door and sat right there and all of a sudden, he sees his mom fly out of the door, baseball bat in hand, because the guy in the car is an old boyfriend of hers who 
she's not on good terms with. He left him high and dry months before, and now he's come back. She's not happy about it at all, and he, he doesn't get out of the car initially until he begins battering her wind, his windshield and battering the, the, the lights out in front of the car, and then he gets out. And that wasn't a smart thing to do because then she takes the bat and begins to wallop him until he gets back in the car and drives away. And little Greg realized, yeah, I don't think we're going to see that guy again. He says in that moment he realized two things. The first thing he realized is, from now on, whatever my mom tells me to do, I'm going to do it. And the second thing he realized is that something was wrong inside his mom's heart. She was filled with a rage that couldn't be explained. Until later, as he was sitting down talking with his grandmother one day when he was a little older, he heard the story of how Greg was born. You see, again, his mom liked to party, and while at a party, she ran into a fella, I believe his name maybe was Tony, and he was a military guy, and he was kind of around for a week or two and then headed out and left this young lady behind with a growing pregnancy. She didn't want to go to her parents because they were kind of conservative Baptists, and so she, instead she headed out of Denver and went all the way to the East Coast to where her aunt and uncle were, and when she got there, she was hoping to get an abortion. And this is before Roe v. Wade was even around. But her aunt and uncle talked her out of it and sent her home. And Greg came to know, man, I'm thankful that I'm alive. But not only that, in that story, he saw his mother's rage and his mother's pain. He saw how she distrusted men. And he also saw how every once in a while she'd look at him. She'd look at Greg and just say, I'm such a bum. I'm such an incredible bum. I can't believe how bad a mom I am. And she would just stew in all that hurt. And y'all, that wasn't even the whole story. In addition to that, she had... The mom had five brothers, and the five brothers were known in North Denver. The mafia in Denver called the five brothers the crazy brothers. Now, when the mafia is calling people crazy, you know there's something serious there. These guys were bad news. They were tough as nails. They were tough as they came. They were in and out of jail, a lot of them. Some were like golden glove boxers and and military heroes and all this kind of stuff. And then there was Greg. Little Greg growing up without a dad. Little Greg going up and didn't know how to fight, didn't know how to protect himself in a tough neighborhood. And one example of this was Christmas one year when he was, you know, again, five or six. And one of the uncles came and said, I've got a Christmas present for little Greg this year. And so he pulled out a present and gave it to Greg. And Greg was there as a little kid unwrapping the present, expectantly what is going to be inside. And it was a doll, a girl's doll. And then the uncle shouted out and said, Well, since Greg doesn't have a dad, 
maybe he's going to like playing with girls' toys more than boys' toys. And Greg, in that moment, got angry just like his mom and just like the rest of his uncles and threw the doll back at his uncle and said, I don't want to play with a doll. And the uncle said, well, maybe he's got enough of us in there somewhere as it is. But Greg says in that moment, he knew that he just didn't quite fit with the rage and the darkness of the rest of his family. And he began to hunger and thirst for something that could give him a solid identity. Who am I? If I don't fit here, where do I fit? And he sought out the wonderful counselor. At five, six, seven years old, he would hide under chairs and hide in corners with his Bible. And he says, I couldn't even pronounce their names, but I knew there was something in this book that could give me hope. And so he read the Bible. His grandparents would take him to church, and finally at age eight, after going to Sunday school and being in church, the, the pastor there said, invite your life and give it to Jesus. And he did. He began to follow Jesus at the young age of eight. Not only that, but God took Greg's darkness and all his family and began to do a new thing. There was a pastor named Pastor or Preacher Yankee. And somebody dared him to go share his faith with one of his uncles, one of the oldest uncles, Uncle Jack. And Uncle Jack, after hearing uh, Yankee invite him to follow Jesus, he said, do you understand it? He said, yes. He said, what do you think? He said, bleep, yes. Bleep, yes. I'm in. And his uncle's life, that was once filled with all this rage and all this hostility and all this anger, flipped. It was gone. And instead, he began carrying people to church to hear this good news that, that preacher Yankee had told him. 250 people within the first couple of months. And one by one, his uncles who were in and out of jail, one uncle who was in the back of a police car for manslaughter, gave his life to Christ, one after the other. Greg started going to church. He was growing in his faith too, but he had his heart for one more person to find Jesus. Mom. He said he'd try to talk to her, but she'd always push him back and say, God can't forgive me. You don't know the things I've done. But he said finally when he was 15, he wasn't going to let mom get away with that anymore. He said, I marched into the kitchen and I made Ma listen to the gospel. And she finally said, you mean to tell me that if I trust in Jesus, he forgives me for every sin? She asked. Even the really bad ones? Yeah, Ma. That's why he died on the cross. So he says she took a drag on her cigarette, stared off into space for a moment, and said, well, I'm in. And again, this woman in darkness found the light of Christ. He said, 17 years ago, Ma lay dying in hospice, 
and she told him a story. She said, do you remember what you used to say to the kids from the neighborhood who made fun of you for not having a dad? I said, no, I don't remember. She said, you used to say, God's my dad. God's my dad. At age eight, I had met the father I'd never known, the father who would never leave me nor forsake me, the father who changed the trajectory of my life and the lives of my whole family. Brothers and sisters, Greg Steer knew the darkness. His family knew the darkness, the rage, the anger, the brokenness. But they found the light. They found in Jesus one who breaks our yokes and sets us free. Greg found a wise counselor that could guide his path. He found a mighty, strong God so that he didn't have to be as mighty as his uncles. He found the Prince of Peace and the everlasting Father that he never had. What are you missing? This Christmas, I hope you'll give Jesus a chance, like Greg did, like his mom did. Maybe you'll just say like her, I'm in. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I